Hey everyone, this is Michael from Redeemer's Church. Glad you're tuning into the podcast. Well, as it turns out, this last Sunday we had some technical hiccups and the audio uh, wasn't feeding into our live stream or into what we normally post as a podcast. But the good news is, a few days prior to the teaching, I was practicing it at home using my iPhone and the voice memo. And so I have the whole teaching already recorded for you. So I'm going to let you listen to that now. So keep in mind, there's not like the interplay that naturally happens uh, with our church live and the laughter and or crickets when I make a bad joke. This is just me sitting down with my laptop out and the only audience I have is my strange Scottish fold cat giving me weird looks. Uh, Now, as far as like the notes and the slides, uh, some of that developed um, as I was preparing and I'm going to try to post some of that in the notes section on the podcast on our website, Faith Life Sites. Um, So you can get those notes, and especially because of all the books that I'm gonna recommend towards the end of the teaching, you'll be able to see that. Now, before we get into the teaching, I wanna share something that happened on Sunday morning that I thought was really cool. Um, As you know, we do a thing called pre-gathering prayer. So there's like 25 of us or so that, that show up early. You're all invited, by the way. And for 30 minutes, we just spend time praying and listening to God to see if the Holy Spirit would say anything. And a number of groups, a number of different people last Sunday morning were hearing the same thing, that there was a lot of stress, anxiety, and busyness in our lives. As well, that Jesus was our shepherd and is going to shepherd us through all this. So in obedience, we read Psalm 23 last Sunday morning, and I want to do that here on the podcast in case you are sensing that same sort of anxiety or stress. Go ahead and wherever you are, if you can, just kind of put your palms up, open your hands, and receive now the word Psalm 23 before we get into the teaching. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, help us as we get into some practical stuff today that could possibly change us to be more spiritually healthy and more available for your kingdom. Your son, Jesus, is the master teacher, using practical things all the time to teach us. So Father, would the Holy Spirit help us now, remind us of your son Jesus's words, his compassion, and the way he went about living to change the world for eternity. Amen. When I graduated high school, I instinctively chose to do discipleship training school in Oahu, Hawaii at an all-inclusive missionary base called YWAM. That's an acronym for Youth with a Mission. 
And for the first three months, I packed a massive roller bag filled mostly with my collection of trucker hats, along with my skateboard, and no joke, I brought a flight case full of my DJ gear. Yes, a set of turntables and vinyls. Now for me, all of what I just mentioned were the necessities of life. But my baggage became even more lean when on our outreach, the second three months of discipleship training school, we went to Thailand. I went to Thailand to do missionary work. And for that, we could only bring what I could fit inside a backpack. All of my possessions, one backpack. While in Thailand, we received the same meal three times a day, rice and eggs and some sort of mystery meat. Every day we'd wake up having little to no idea where we were or where we were going. Furthermore, we mostly spoke through a translator or using the minimal words we knew in Thai. On top of that, we had sparse communication with our family. Keep in mind, this is before the smartphones, which meant if we were lucky, the town we were in had an internet cafe where we could go write emails using AOL to communicate with our families. Yes, this predates Google. Yes, I predate Google. Basically, in Thailand, we had our Bibles, we had each other, and we had the Holy Spirit. And that was it for three months. Now, on hearing this, some of you would go mad, and I'll admit, I went a little crazy. Let me show you a picture. Here's a disposable camera picture of me during this time. If you're listening to podcasts, there's basically a picture of me, wild hair. I'm playing with a bunch of chickens while also eating chicken. But all in all, it was a great trip. We were on the front lines of ministry, watching Jesus move and heal and do miracles. It was unforgettable, life-changing. I wouldn't be the person I am today if I had not said yes to this trip. But now, 20 years later, something else entirely is cause for my consideration. I remember two things that stood out upon my re-entry back into the United States. One, I was filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit, overflowing, living day to day, felt weightless, like floating through the air, Zero anxiety, pure joy in serving others. And number two, I had no idea who won the Super Bowl that year. (laughs) Can you imagine? How is that even possible? Well, you just got to get off the grid, you know? No ESPN, no Fox Sports, no Sports Illustrated, no Americans for thousands of miles. Can you imagine? I mean, it sounds like a nightmare to some of us, but, but on a serious note, in return, I got this, a peace of mind, or the ability to live in the moment free from distractions, free from the news feed, freedom to love and be loved by the people I was with in the room. I got to experience lightness, metaphorically speaking, carrying only the burden of the day of the moment with me wherever I went. Now, many of you have had similar experiences, I'm sure, whether it was a week in Mexico on mission, right? No running water, no showers, beans and rice, etc. Or maybe it was just a vacation where the airlines lost your luggage. So you had to survive on that one pair of clothes, that one outfit. And by the end of the trip, I'm guessing you thought to yourself, wow, maybe I don't need so much stuff to be happy. 
Are you guys tracking with me? I mean, how many of you have had that exact thought? I can live happy with less. Good, okay, so I'm not the only one. Well, then subsequently, we all share the next experience. Now, perhaps this is familiar to you as well. You get home from the mission trip. You drink running water out of the faucet for the first time in weeks. You take a hot shower that morning. You do a little afternoon shopping for a new pair of shoes. Do a little fast food through the drive through again. Then the next thing you know, you're binge-watching Yellowstone online, eating ice cream out of the tub, playing video games, staying up late, sleeping in past your morning prayer time, and then rushing to the office or school or wherever. No? Just me? What's going on? Well, as it turns out, we as humans are pretty lousy disciples of Jesus. We don't easily receive the invitation into the simple life what Jesus called life to the fullest. And that invitation of Jesus is specifically this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, yoke being his teachings. Take my teachings upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my teaching, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says this. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. So therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus teaches us to live freely and lightly. As an example, Jesus made sure to inject a healthy dose of margin into his life. Think back to the teaching Brett gave a few weeks ago on Sabbath. Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It's how we keep ourselves from burning out. And the name for this, the name for what we're talking about, for what Jesus is talking about is simplicity or the discipline of simplicity. Now, quick review, what are the disciplines? If you weren't with us, we've been going through 12 or more of the most popular agreed upon disciplines of Jesus followers from the past 2000 years. Catch this, all disciplines or practices, or spiritual formations, if you want to call them that, are based on the life and teachings of Jesus. They are an attempt to follow the way of Jesus, to copy the details of his day-to-day life, to be his disciple, or in modern language, his apprentice or student. So then, what is simplicity, or the, the discipline of simplicity? And we looked at this a couple months ago. Simplicity, more recently, has been called minimalism. That is what a number of bloggers and writers have been calling a secularized version of the ancient practice updated for the wealthy Western world. Joshua Becker defines simplicity and minimalism as this, a lifestyle where people intentionally seek to live with only the things they need. 
Dallas Willard would call it frugality, to abstain from using money or goods at our disposal in ways that merely gratify, gratify our desires or our hunger for status, glamour, or luxury. Now, real talk, we all want this, secular and religious alike, we all get it, it makes sense. Yet, why is it so elusive? It feels like one step forward, two steps back. Like no matter how hard we try, we keep getting sucked back into the ways of this world. Busyness, hurry, anxiety, distractions, or, or how about hoarding, upgrading, buying, consumption, covetousness, or climbing the corporate ladder, power grabs, and so on. The reason is this, simplicity doesn't happen overnight. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's like what Dr. PhD Leo M. Marvin prescribed in his best-selling book, Baby Steps. <laughs> Any What About Bob fans here? You remember that movie? Dr. Leo, baby step, baby steps down the hall, baby steps into the elevator. Right? One step at a time, short little steps. My wife and Monica, my wife Monica and I have been on this journey for almost a decade now, like making very intentional changes in our life to move towards what Foster calls the freedom of simplicity. And if you talk to us, you know we're super vocal about it. Like, Probably annoying. I apologize. I'm sorry. But we're just that excited about it. It's been revolutionary to our souls. It's, it's like literally why we live and work here in Redmond instead of the city. It's why we're here at Redeemer's Church and not one of my friend's really cool trendy churches down in Bend. In fact, we talk about it so much that just a few months back, a musician artist friend of mine from San Diego texted me this. We'll throw it up on the screen. His name is Bodhi. And he says with almost zero punctuation, how do you simplify your life? Give me the secrets. <laughs> Give me the secrets. I love that. He was sick of hearing us talk about it, or hopefully maybe he noticed something different, different in our lives, and so he finally asked me, Michael, give me the secrets. And I love that word he used, secrets. It's literally what the Apostle Paul called simplicity. Apostle Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situations, Philippians 4, 12. Now you should know, I'm no expert. Monica and I are just beginners. We're green, we're a bunch of noobs. We're not the Apostle Paul or Jesus for that matter. But I just wanna share this morning what I did with my friend in that text message. I gave him three steps. I know, the perfect sermon, right? Three steps. So we'll call them the three secrets. Secret number one, are you ready? More is more, not better. If you're taking notes, write this down. Secret number one, more is more, not better. It was Mark Twain that perceptively noted civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Today's version of that is something like, I need more money to buy more stuff to impress people I don't like. The gospel of America, unfortunately, works directly against simplicity. We've all heard this message in a nutshell. The more you have, the happier you will be. And this is the lie, let's call it out, that we will get our meaning in life by what we consume? No way. I mean, right now, there's running ads by AT&T and a number of other companies that try to convince us that more is better, right? More not 3G, but 4G, not 4G, but 5G, and MM Wave and High Band F 5G. You know, we need to counter these statements. More is not 
better. That's bad math. More is just more. Say that with me. More is just more. Yep, it's more reasons to worry, to panic, more stress, more time at the office, more debt, more maintenance and cleaning, more migraines and rushing from one thing to the next. More things that fill our mind with the bottomless to-do list. You guys feel that way. So the solution to our, our problem of daily becoming overwhelmed, exhausted, and burdened and busy isn't more. And it isn't just reorganizing. As much as I love Marie Kondo, you guys know Marie Kondo, anyone? The Japanese organization consultants on Netflix? Yeah, we don't need to reorganize all this stuff we have. No, we need a garage sale for our soul. We need to declutter our lives, be that stuff or time commitments. Less is more. And simplicity is learning to live with less. Jesus said it this way, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world or to have more and more, yet forfeit their soul? Part of this secret is embracing our limitations, our God complex or Savior complex, trying to do it all. And I have great, for new, great news for you all. Are you ready? You can't do it all. We're not God. We're human. Time, space, one place at a time, all the pesky, non-omnipresent stuff. We forget that we're only human. Surrounded by our technological devices, we forget that we don't have limitless bandwidth and the infinite ability to multitask. Did you know, did you know every time you check your newsfeed or Twitter timeline, it takes a whopping 23 minutes and 15 seconds just to regain attention and focus? Whoa. Conclusion. We stink at multitasking, all right? If you think you're a multitasker, you're lying to yourself. We have limitations, lots of them. The limitations include, and this is a list that Brett went over just a few weeks ago. The limitations include our bodies. We can't, like Luke Skywalker, be in two places at the same time. Our minds, we can only use so much of our brain at once. And we don't get to hack someone else's brain as well. As much as it was fun to watch uh, you know, Bradley Cooper and Limitless or Mel Gibson and What Women Want, our minds, in fact, are limited. Other limitations involve our giftings, our personalities and emotional wiring, our families of origin, our socioeconomic origins, our education and careers, our season of life and their responsibilities, our 80 or so years of life, God's call in our lives is also limited. You don't get to be the Apostle John or the Apostle Peter. We are limited. But guess what? This is actually really healthy and simplifying. You don't have time to live up to all these things that are beyond your capabilities. Pete Scazzaro says, we find God's will for our lives in our limitations. Look, I don't lament my failing basketball career. I don't. In eighth grade, I hung up the sneakers. I'm fine with that. Why? Because it helped me focus on what I was good at, what God had equipped me to do for the rest of my life. In the language of Henry Thoreau, he said, we have to live deliberately. The Apostle Paul would tell us to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look, you can't do it all. Less is more. Create margin in your schedule. Get rid of the clutter. More is just more. 
Look, you don't have to watch every season of Yellowstone. You don't even have to watch the Super Bowl. You won't regret that when you die. And if you're looking to concentrate on work or spend quality time with loved ones, setting clear limits is essential, which brings us to secret number two. Fair warning now, if you have a toddler, cover their ears. Are you ready? Secret number two is learn how to say no. Learn how to say no. In other words, prioritize your values. Check out these quotes. Simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. Simplicity involves unburdening your life and living more lightly with fewer distractions that interfere with the high quality life as defined by each individual. Now, for fun, take a look at Benjamin Franklin's daily schedule. We have it up on the screen here. You'll see the bigger blocks that we can all relate with, right? Work from 8, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., you know, reading and lunch in between, 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. sleep. And of course, he has blocked out time for leisure, for music and conversation, and what he calls diversion. But notice a question at the beginning of each day. He asked himself this, what good shall I do this day? And as a resolution at the evening, he asked another question, what good have I done today? So sleep, work, food, and fun, nothing wrong with any of that. But, but, but for Benjamin Franklin, doing good was the thing he valued most. He prioritized it. This is how you keep simplicity at the forefront of your time. Figure out what you value most, say yes to that, and no to everything else. Stephen Covey said that we achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Jesus would say something like, your treasure is where your heart is. Have you ever sat down and wrote out like a time log to find out where your time is going every week, where your, where your treasure is? It's an eye-opening. It revealed for me just how much time I spent online, social media shopping, or random hangs with friends, playing video games, instead of doing the things I actually wanted to do. I wanted to actually be reading, finishing the books that I always wanted to finish, or honing in my craft, my talent, you know, playing guitar or singing, or spending time with the people I cared about most about. Look, it's easy to tell people that you're busy when you're spending upwards of 20 hours a week organizing your fantasy football team, right? Or catching up on your reality TV shows. I'd say we're actually more distracted than we are busy. Listen, there are less hours in our day than we expect. There are less days in the week, less weeks in the year. You must prioritize what matters most. The great commandment in scripture, what we call the Shema, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and your strength. Now strength in Hebrew translates kind of funny. In English, it would be like muchness, meaning uh, all your time or energy, money, and possessions. Your muchness. I wonder, I wonder just how much life and peace we could enjoy if we, in fact, prioritize Jesus's kingdom with all of our muchness. Prioritizing is found in that, that, that word no. <laughs> Today, it, it might as well be a dirty word. Here's what I mean. This is an article I read recently called The Simplicity Principle. 
says, if you're looking to concentrate on work or spend quality time with loved ones, setting clear limits is essential. We need to set clear personal boundaries to give our lives focus. Yes, we need to learn the art of saying no. As the famous investor Warren Buffett says, the difference between successful people and the really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Despite being extraordinarily wealthy, Buffett has simplified his life to its bare essentials. He prioritizes family and friends, lives frugally, and focuses on his chief talent, investing. He refuses a great many invitations to keep himself on track. And another thing, he doesn't own a smartphone or even keep a computer on his desk. All of this simplicity isn't much use if you don't have a clear purpose, though. To find this, you need to listen closely to yourself. Ask yourself, what really matters to me? To your an- and your answer could be simple, like seeing more of your family. Or it could be finishing a novel or finally getting fit. Whatever it is, zoom in on that. Then, when you do make space in your life, you'll find your time well. So my values look like this, and this is just a basic list. Number one, obeying God or Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Number two, family, wife, son, parents, brothers, and sisters, etc. Number three, community, friends, church, mentors. Four, work, ministry, and music. Five, exercise and leisure and diversion. And six, seven, eight, the list could go on. But as you might expect, my week has certain things built into it to accomplish these values. And I'll show those to you. Now, This is oversimplified, and remember that at the end of the day, I'm a house husband, a recovering musician, volunteer pastor, amateur soccer player, okay? So my list isn't going to look like yours. But it starts with the morning ritual quiet time every single day. That's coffee, Bible, meditation, prayer, followed by a 30-minute workout of some sort. Friday, and again, I'll show you this on the screen, Friday, uh, work and fasting until 5 p.m. I'll, I'll fast from the night before on Thursday after the meal until 5 p.m. when we begin a 24-hour Sabbath. And for that, it's mainly family stuff, but also we include friends. A Saturday at 5 p.m., that's when I click out of Sabbath into Sunday prep, organizing, like, say, this teaching, uh, re-looking at the notes and getting the music together. Sunday, of course, church. Takes most of the meeting, meeting with friends, uh, started playing soccer now on Sunday, so I go do a game of that, and then date night with my wife. Monday, uh, I watch John Fox, part of the house husband thing, right? There's prayer at church, and then there's meetings and young life on Monday nights. Tuesday, more work, intentional family time, and downtime reading. Wednesday, work, play hockey, uh, that would be during the winter, <laughs> Run errands, dinner at my parents' house. Um, we do that every, every Wednesday. It's Grammy Day, and it ends with family time, dinner. And then Thursday, work on house stuff, uh, errands, laundry, basically a bunch of things that prep me for the Sabbath to come on uh, Friday into Saturday. And I try to meet with neighbors and friends, all built in. There's my week. There you have it. This is my limit. My load and margin are, are nearly spent. It was a mouthful just to give you that whole schedule. And I like to think of it this way. The assumption that 
My wife and I are already overcommitted. We don't have a lot of margin left over for anything else. Therefore, anytime I'm asked to do something out of my routine, I usually think to myself, saying yes to this means saying no to something else. Do you get that? In order to say yes to something else that comes into my routine, it means I'm going to have to say no to one of these other things that I've already built in as a value into my schedule. Quick example might be like this. A while back, a friend of mine asked me if I'd like to help with his coffee business, get into roasting coffee one day a week. Now, you know, I love coffee, right? I'm a coffee snob. I would love to do that. So I thought about it. I talked about it with my wife, prayed about it, hypothetically, right? And I thought, well, saying yes to coffee would mean me saying no to these other things that I value more than coffee. I, I value more than coffee serving the church and doing music and spending time coaching my niece's soccer team. And so I made my decision. And the answer was, you guessed it, no. Yeah. And that's me. It's seeing my limitations, prioritizing my values. It's tough sometimes. Honestly, if there were eight days a week, I would love to be in the coffee roasting business. <laughs> it's true. There's a reason I'm not running a coffee shop. As much as I love it, it's because I, it doesn't break into my top values. Moving on. Number one, more is more, not better. Know your limits. Number two, learn how to say no. Prioritize your values. And now, secret number three. Don't just take my advice. Don't just take my advice. As in, I want to give you my resources, the stuff I read or watched or heard that's helping me practice simplicity. So here's my bibliography for today's teaching. As I've mentioned before, John Mark Comer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is a great one-stop shop for simplicity. And much of that book is a repackaging of these. Freedom of Simplicity by Richard Foster. Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, and Domestic Monastery by Ronald Rollheiser. Uh, and Ronald Rollheiser observes how to implement the monastic life into 2022 for the house husbands like myself, if you will. Um, lots of other books by Ronald Rollheiser that I could suggest, but I think that's a great starting point for him, Domestic Monastery. Now, uh, the next three books I want to suggest are mainstream, as in they're not Christian authors, but you'll find that they are professionals of discipline and how to create priorities around your highest values. So keep that in mind. Uh, there's two books here by Cal Newport, Deep Work and Digital Minimalism. I could say a lot about both of these. I want to talk briefly about Digital Minimalism. That's a book that when I first read it, my wife and I... Um, I was super skeptical. My wife was all in. She's like, this is brilliant. We need to implement a lot of these changes in our life. For me, it was like, I don't know. I really like being on social media, staying connected. I like technological advancements. I, I just don't know if like I'm buying everything this guy's selling. Seven years later, I am all in on this book now, Digital Minimalism. Everything, every single chapter that I read with skepticism, I'm just like, wow. This is, you know, if I could use the word prophetic, this is prophetic for our time. Um, so check those out. Deep Work, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Daily Rituals by Mason Curry. Uh, the, the daily schedule that I showed earlier of Benjamin Franklin, that came right out of Mason Curry's book. And 
he's basically collected a bunch of famous people throughout the ages, um, their, their routines, their daily, you know, walking through life stuff. It's, it's, um, their daily schedules. It's also what I quoted in, in simplicity part one, uh, with Carl Jung's schedule also came from Mason Curry's book. Really good. Just to kind of give you an idea of what highly efficient and effective people do, uh, with their days. And then likewise, uh, Tools of Titans and Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. Uh, Tim Ferriss is a master of efficiency and impact himself, but he intentionally interviews people that are the best at their craft, whatever they do. Um, and it could be anything. It'd be race car drivers to movie directors to authors. Um, I mean, there's his list is incredible. And so he interviews these people in the podcast format. And then from there, he distills those interviews down into like just the best of the best of um, for his books, Tools of Titans and Tribe of Mentors. So check that out. Um, a lot of the books I just mentioned also have podcasts that accompany them. Um, so you can search for those on your own. And then finally, a Netflix documentary about the important things called minimalism. And I suggest you go check that out tonight uh, with your friends or your your significant other. And it's only it's like a quick hour documentary on Netflix, minimalism. Check it out. That will definitely challenge you uh, to live into simplicity. So to end now, you can close your Bibles, turn off your notes, turn off your phones for a second. I'm going to put all three secrets back into your mind here. One, more is more. More is just more, not better. Secret number two, learn to say no. No is not a dirty word. It allows you to say yes to the things you prioritize most. Learn to say no. And then secret number three, don't just take my advice. Have fun going through that list of books and podcasts and documentaries and begin to spur yourself on in this practice as a disciple of Jesus. Super practical. I'm, I'm praying you'll all give at least one of these a shot. Like I said, I was highly skeptical of a lot of these things, but I found that as I, I put into practice, maybe one of them, maybe it was just like, oh, I'm just going to try deleting this app or maybe not taking my, my smartphone with me on this date night with my wife. You know, I'm just going to leave it in the car or something while we go into the restaurant. I found as I tried those little, you know, baby steps, um, that I, it just made me crave more and more. Like I wanted more simplicity in my life because all those little baby steps showed me just how pivotal and, and how life-changing simplicity could be. I was talking on the phone with my friend about this just the other day and he said this. He said, I will only experience in my life the thing I know in my mind when I live it out in my body. I'll only experience in my life the thing I know in my mind when I live it out in my body. Again, I think a lot of us hear this idea of simplicity and we go, yeah, that makes sense. And so now if we actually want change, we need to make change happen. We need to talk about it. We need to set our, you know, our timers early or, or make those small steps to initiate a change in our lives. We need to live it out in our bodies. So let's go ahead and even now, just close your eyes, wherever you're listening to this, open your hands, posture up. And I want to suggest that during this time of response, you begin to formulate what it is that's keeping you from experiencing the freedom of simplicity. 
that on the drive right now or on your drive home with a trusted friend or your spouse or with your kids, you begin the conversation about what you can try cutting out, saying no to in order to say yes to the thing you value most. What are you going to do or do without this week? What changes are you going to make? And then even now, just imagine Jesus. Jesus wants to invite you into this freedom of simplicity. Think about him with me. Think about his life, the way he organized his life, his routines. He knew when to work, when to rest. He had energy to help others. He knew how to manage his relationships. He didn't just run after every person or opportunity. He was able to act in a moment's notice. And he was also able to delay, to say, to say no to the tyranny of the urgent. And in the most ironic way, Jesus didn't have a savior complex. No. Instead, he lived freely and lightly in full obedience to his father's will, moment to moment. There were even fires, so to speak, that he didn't put out, but that he left for his followers to do. But what I'm in awe of regarding Jesus, as we think about him, what I'm in awe of is that he knew when his time had come and was ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. As in Jesus knew his purpose, the will of God for his life, he also lived into each moment carried by the Holy Spirit to do and to act in every situation. Wow. Jesus wants to invite you into this freedom of simplicity.